Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Rose Waldman. Rose Waldman holds an MFA from Columbia University. Her translations have appeared as a chapbook, Married, an I.L. Parrot story, and Have I Got a Story for You by W.W. W. Norton in Pockentrager magazine and in various literary journals. She was a 2014 and 2016 Yiddish Book Center Translation Fellow. Rose's translation of S. Onsky's Pioneers, The First Breach, is a Yiddish Book Center translation published by Syracuse Press and recently released in May 2017. Welcome, Rose. Hi. So great to have you here. Um, and you. really uh, quite a treat to read the book. I know I've read it in a couple of different chapters as you were translating along, but to read it completed is really wonderful. So thank you for thank the translation. In, in your translator's introduction, you have a line that I'd love it if you could expand on, and it's as simple as, I discovered Onsky in a footnote. Ah, okay. So basically that's the way it happened. <laughs> um, I knew nothing about Onsky, but then I was reading a book uh, uh, written by Nathaniel Deutsch called The Maiden of Ludmer. And it was a fascinating book. And at some point in it, I can't remember because I read it so many years ago, um, he may have either mentioned Onsky or may have mentioned something else. And then I went down to the footnote to find what he was talking about. And that's where he mentioned, um, no, I guess that's where he mentioned Onsky as um this ethnographer who's been who did this wonderful ethnographic expedition and created a questionnaire with thousands of questions um, that, where, that he kind of went around to towns from town to town, city to city. Um, this was back uh, in 1912. I think the expedition was from 1912 to 1914, and he went around asking these questions from the people. He wanted to know about their customs, their songs, um, their stories. Um, I think he collected pictures. He did tons of recordings um, of songs that they had at the time. And um, I just became so fascinated by this person who did this kind of thing. Um, I even emailed Nathaniel at that time to ask, like, how I can see the questionnaire. But it was in a library in Russia or something, so I didn't really have access to it at the time. Um, he has since translated that questionnaire. Um, at any rate, um, I really became fascinated by the person. And, you know, then, of course, I read a little bit more about him. And then, of course, when it came to my tra to doing the translation, I was just excited to be translating any of his work. And I read the book, and I liked it. I found it funny and true to life, and um, there was so much in it that I liked, and I just happily undertook it. Um, this is my project when I was a fellow at the Yiddish Book Center the first time. Yeah, and I think it tells a really interesting story, and safe to say a larger narrative of sort of the story of Jewish Enlightenment's arrival in the shtetl. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it's and it's interesting because you sort of have the marriage of um, Onsky, who's writing fiction, and Onsky, who is doing this ethnographic work, um, because he realizes that this is a very, um, you know, sort of... Uh, seminal time in terms of transition from shtetl to modern world, et cetera. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, and I think he actually was sort of propelled by this feeling 
that it was all going to vanish, which turned out to be true, but not in the way that he thought. Um, You know, he couldn't actually foresee the Holocaust, but um, he did foresee kind of religion fading away and the traditional Jew being a thing of the past. He had assumed that the Haskalah movement and all of the, you know, just the general enlightenment and the, the, the modernity sort of, um, the growing modernity of people, um, would just, in the end, win out and there would be nothing left of the old religious Jews. So he felt it sort of like, his, like an imperative to go around and collect those things because he assumed that a culture is going to vanish. Um, so, yes, we see a, in, the, in his fiction... And, um, you know, I haven't seen all the stuff that he's collected for his expedition, of course, but I'm sure that, you know, so much of that is because of his feeling that it was all going to disappear. Um, he actually mentions it in some places, um, you know, and, and like I said, it comes up in his fiction, too. Um, the interesting part about his fiction, the story, is that you see kind of his ethnographic bent. You know, the way he describes the scene, he zooms in on the dialogue and on the individual people. It's not just like this overall description of a shtetl or of the historical, uh, you know, situation or time. He really, like, goes to the nitty-gritty of, like, individual people, what they say, how they sound, how the community sounds. Um, all of that, and I found that very, very interesting in the book. Yeah, his characters are very believable. Yes. Um, and the the story's main character is the young, and I hope I pronounce his last name correctly, it's Zalman Itzkovitz. I think Itzkowitz. so, yeah. yeah. Um, he, he's described as a free thinker who's come to this rural town to earn his living as a tutor. Um, and he plans to teach students Russian language and other sub- secular subjects. I wonder if you think that there are aspects of Ansky in this character. Say the last question again. I didn't hear you. Do, if I do, think that. Do you think that there are aspects of Ansky in oh. the character of Zalman? Oh yes, um, definitely. There are some autobiographical um, factors here. Um, I know that Ansky had also been a tutor for a while. He'd also gone to towns and uh, tried his hand at that. So I think a lot of the experiences that Dalman um, experiences, a lot of that had been experienced by Ansi. Um, the so you know, there's no question that there's that. I don't really think that Ansi thought of himself um, in the way that he described um, Itzkowitz, which is sort of like as a wishy-washy character who's not a great thinker, but is just swept along with a movement. Um, one of the, the best lines where he sort of describes these type of, these type of people, like the lesser thinkers, he calls them, were swept away with the, the trend and the current that was, uh, you know, just happening at that time, is he says they, they swam away from one shore but never reached another. He kind of just decided, okay, I'll go with it, and he left, um, you know, the traditional life behind, his yeshiva behind, and and all his beliefs behind without really knowing what he was aiming for or what he was trying to get to. And then that, of course, you know, in a very humorous way, plays itself out again and again throughout the story, where sort of whoever tries to persuade him, he ends up being convinced. You know, it starts with the 
the Russian police. He becomes like really excited by him. Uh, the non-Jewish, uh, uh, not, not police. What is, what is he called? The uh, superintendent. Right. Um, yeah, and then and then the rabbi convinces him to return to religion, and he just does that. He goes back to his old life, and then you know, like I don't want to give away um, the entire story, but basically, um, you know, he just goes from place to place, from thing to thing, like whichever ideology is presented to him, he sort of jumps along with it. Um, I do not think that Ansky um, really thought that that was what his own character was about. And though he did make some changes in his life, um, he, you know, for a while he kind of was very, very committed to be a Narod, I think. I'm not sure how the, what the Russian word is pronounced, um, how it's pronounced. Um, but, you know, like this populist, um, anti-establishment, anti-government, anti-bourgeois. Um, uh, so he very much joined that movement, and he was committed to it. But then eventually he did sort of start feeling that, uh, Jew- you know, Jewishness is where he belongs to, and he committed himself fully to that. Um, and that was kind of when he started writing in Yiddish again. Um, so he did make some changes, but I think when he committed to something, it was through a lot of thought, um, you know, he became convinced of the ideology and got himself really into it, not like Itzkowitz, who was a little bit more on the surface. And as I was reading it, I wondered, I mean, I'd heard tell of this 2,087 questions that were on the questionnaire that he took on this two-year expedition. And I couldn't help but wonder if he was also, he being Ansky, wrestling in the story with some of the issues that drew him to write and seek answers to those questions? Um, I think we would kind of have to assume so. Um, You know, in general, writers, um, they tend to write about things that they sort of want to discover for themselves. It's like, you know, I write because I want to know what I think. Um, So I am assuming that he had been struggling with it, and you do kind of see it coming across in the novel, too, which is what I like about it, because it doesn't come very heavily or or in any biased way down on a particular side or a particular ideology. It's kind of open to exploration, and I think that was because he himself was wrestling with some issues and was open to discovering the answers for himself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because I think it holds up as a work of fiction, and yet it has this other dimension that, um, I don't know, makes you, you know, reflect a little bit on the Jewish aspect of this in terms of Jewish identity and modernity, et cetera. Um, I, I mean, I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to have fiction with a broader purpose, Um um, so, yeah, so, you know, for me in particular, um, because I was born into a Hasidic community and I'm still, you know, living as part of that, it's very much a part of me, um, very much part of my life and my identity. Um, some of the struggles that I'm always hearing about um, in different venues, you know, about figuring out one's Jewish identity, um, where do I stand on the Jewish spectrum, all of that... Um, again, is not something that I would identify with personally. You know, that for me personally, Jewish identity has always been so prevalent in my life. 
um, so much a part of me that it wasn't an issue that I had ever struggled with. But I, you know, I know from what I've seen and what I've heard um, that it is an issue that is challenging, you know, about how you define yourself and where you, you know, how much Jewishness is part of you and all of that. And um, I definitely also see this in the novel where, um, you know, it's it, it just, it's a topic. It's, an, it's something that keeps coming up. It's, it's a question that sort of runs through the novel. Um, and what I really liked, and I think I mentioned something like this before, is that he sort of gives equal shrift to every, um, or equal space and, and, and an openness and an understanding to the different viewpoints there. You know, like it's, there, there's a sort of empathy to each side, um, which is nice as he explores that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the characters, again, were very accessible. And they ask questions that we all might be asking of ourselves um, in different ways. Uh, and as you said, there was no ideology to Salman. Um, and yet his sort of moving from one one aspect of his life to another, um, or his engagement with Jewish religion or the secular side, allows, I think, the reader to begin to question and explore those different issues as well. Which, right, yeah. and it also makes him a very empathetic character. Mm -hmm. You know, from, from a literary standpoint, um, you care about people who are always searching and, and, and wanting. You know, the desire is there. He, he, he wants to change for the better, and he just follows whichever path he thinks will be for the better. So whether we think he's misguided or not, but as a character, he's fun to be with, and, and you know, we can also feel for him. Yeah, there are times in the book where I want to be his, you know, caretaker. <laughs> <laughs> sort of stroke his cheek and pat him on his head. Exactly. Yeah. But there are, there are characters there to help him through that as well, which is great. Yeah. I, I think it speaks yeah. to community as well. Um, and I, again, I wonder what the challenges are of translating a literary work, which you did so beautifully. Oh, thank you. Well, the challenges are many. <laughs> um, it just... It, you know, sometimes it's just unbelievable. I think maybe just another translator can sort of realize how much work and thought can sometimes go into the translating of a single phrase or even a word, and you go back and forth and forth and back, you know, just to try to get the perfect word. And then when you read it again, you always think, oh, I could have done this so much better. So, um, you know, so that's just for translation itself. Um, in terms of translating a Yiddish book, um, there are its own particular challenges, and I assume it's the same in different languages, too, um, where they also have their particular set of challenges. So one is, you know, the, the way we phrase sentences and, and sort of sometimes even the order of words, and when you change it to proper English, sometimes it loses a bit of its flavor. So there is that dance where you want to make it sound proper and sound natural in English, but also not completely uninteresting, because there is something really interesting and, and sort of a delight um, in the Yiddish language. So you want to try to preserve that wherever you can. Um, you know, and then, of course, there are all the Jewish words that don't have an exact equivalent in English, and once you translate it, you also feel like it loses a bit of its flavor. Um, one common one I know that people always talk about is 
you know, when you address people, um, it's so common to address the person as David, you know, or which would have been, if we would be doing the literal translation, something like rabbi or Mr. Jew, which, mm-hmm. of course, is going to sound ridiculous. Um, so there's some of that. Um, there's um, In this particular book, one of the things was also the way the Bismedrish, the synagogue, is um, is described. Sometimes it's a cloise, sometimes it's a Bismedrish, sometimes it's uh, what was the other one? Uh, I, I forgot. There was something else which I thought sometimes translated as I originally translated as House of Study. And then in the end, I kind of just chose to use a uniform word, especially if it was describing the same thing, the same building, the same synagogue. Um, you know, then there's also, like, the issue, like, a word like Shabbos. Do you call it the Sabbath, which I see some translators doing? Um, it does sort of give it a little bit maybe more of that Puritan or, you know, I don't know, maybe like a Christian kind of feel, I felt. But a lot of translators choose that route because they feel it's more accessible to an English um, readership. Um, you know, so there, there's a whole bunch of that. In my translator's note, I think I listed a number of other challenges that came up and kind of how I dealt with them, um, which, whether they were the best choice or not, I guess I will... Uh, find out. As a reader, I think it works, because I I, I read that before I started the book, but also the the book just reads so seamlessly. Um, You're not aware of reading something that feels uncomfortable in translation. It feels as though you must have really found Ansky's voice and a way. Oh, good. I am am so happy to hear that, because when you're doing it, and certainly in the initial draft, it always feels like you know, you're stumbling along, and this is so awkward, and that's so awkward. So it's just great to hear you say that it felt seamless, and it was a, you know, like a like a smooth read. Absolutely, and I, yeah, I really enjoyed it over the weekend. Curious, before I let you go, what are you working on now? Um, okay, so I actually just completed um, a draft of a Chaim Grada novel. This is a novel that hasn't been published yet. Um, not even in Yiddish and book form. It had been serialized um, in the foreword before that in another journal, but um, now they, you know, once Sivo got the estate, finally after all the work, um, they decided to have this translated. So I just sent in with the manuscript, and we'll see what's going to happen with that. Um, it, there is probably also a part two to that, so I may end up having to work on that after. But at this point, I'm just waiting to see. So we'll see what happens with that. And um, if not, I'll have to find another project. <laughs> well, you can come visit. We have a lot of books that need translating, <laughs> as you're aware. <laughs> yes, Which yes, is, I know. Uh, yeah, I know. Why we, have, I know. why we have the Translation Fellowship. So, right. um, again, for our listeners, the book is Pioneers, The First Breach. It's available through the Yiddish Book Center's online and on-site booksite, bookstore, shop.yiddishbookcenter.org. Thank you so much, Rose, for your work and um, for visiting with us today. Thank you. Sure, it was my pleasure. We look forward to the next one. Take care. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. 
To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.